Oh no, Tess has to cover the threesome again. <laughs> I don't know why it keeps coming to me, but I feel like I'm ready this time. I can't believe it's been such a long time since I last spoke these mystical words aloud, but... <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Magic Winks Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together whenever we can and recap the Italian Magical Girl series Winks Club. I'm Brendan, Fairy of the Surging Sea. And I'm Tess, Fairy of the It's Finally Here! Welcome to our coverage of Season 2 of Fate the Winx Saga! Going in, I would like to plug some trigger warnings at the top. That Fate the Winx Saga is a show meant for a much more mature audience than Winx Club the cartoon series for small children. So we are <laughs> going to be dealing with some pretty heavy topics, including death, abuse, uh, fascism parallels... Uh, a lot of blood and gore. Yeah. So, it, suicide. So if any of those things bother you, I'm sorry to say that you might not want to tune in until we get back to our regular coverage of season nine. Season, I'm sorry, season two. Fuck. We're not forcing you to watch this. We're just enjoying it. So, with that said, uh, also at the top, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please feel free to follow us on Twitter, at MagicWinksPod, even though we rarely ever post there, which is something we need to get better about, but we will. We will get better about it, because... I'm in my third place of the year, and I'm planning on staying here for a while. Unless, of course, I buy a house by the start of next year, and then we you have to move to another place, but this one will be permanent. Brendan, I will throw you down a flight of stairs. I'd like to see you try. <laughs> Tell the nice people our email. Oh, right. Uh, you can email us at magicwinksclubhouse at gmail.com. That is the name of this podcast at gmail.com. And emails, you know, we'll take anything. Take what you, just Just send us whatever you want, except for graphic pornography. Thank you. Also, don't sign us up for a bunch of marketing promotions. Yeah, that too. So, oh, uh, today, real quick. Real quick. Mm -hmm. Hi, Taylor. I know you're listening. Hi, Tess's manager. <laughs> oh, well, I haven't even gotten to this this part now. Um, today, we are specifically watching season one, ep or season two, episode one, Low Flying Panic Attack, which is a huge mood. <laughs> uh, the entire season of this entire season of Fate dropped on September 16th, 2022. This specific episode was directed by Ad Basel. Ad. This specific episode was directed by Ed Basalgete and was written by showrunner Brian Young. 
And the episode title, instead of a Yeats poem, like all of our titles were last year, and I'm aware I called him Yeats and not Yeats, this <laughs> episode's title comes from the song Burn the Witch by Radiohead. Uh, just a light spoiler that all of our uh, episode titles this season are references to witch media. So I wonder what's going to happen later in this season. <laughs> witch media. Listen, you. <laughs> so we begin not with a panning three-dimensional shot of Althea no no I say no <laughs> we have a cold open the drone shots are instead actual drone shots on a camera and they are of a, d- a dense Irish forest where there is a raucous party in the woods being thrown by some Althea students which we established pretty quickly because uh, somebody asks if a noise they heard was a burned one. I love smoking in the woods next to an abandoned car in a fire. My favorite. So that rustling noise was actually just like somebody throwing a beer bottle in the woods because two of the two of the party goers were making out really intensely and he wanted to break it up. Dude, that was perfectly good bad alcohol. So, um, our, our lovers here, we have a specialist girl named Ivy, who apparently fights with a pair of knives, and a mind fairy boy called Devin. So, Ivy and Devin go off in the woods to do a sex. <laughs> and halfway through undressing, Devin stops and asks if she actually wants to do this because he got a ping of disgust off of, and he thinks it's coming from her. But she says that that is not what she's feeling at all at the moment. And there is a mysterious figure in the woods. The following slasher movie sequence. <laughs> uh, they think it's their friend Nick being an asshole. He, it's not. Ivy draws her knives. But then the figure in the woods starts doing some hand gestures. And Ivy's veins start boiling. No thank you. No thank you. And then... They twitch their fingers and Ivy make Ivy stab herself in the neck because this is a blood witch. Well, she is consistently telling Devin to run. Yeah, and that she can't control her own body movements. So yeah, this is a blood witch. Uh, I didn't know that when they said blood witch, they meant blood bender. Oof. Oof. But that's what... <laughs> Yikes. After Ivy dies, Devin tries to run away and hide under this nearby uh, burned-out bridge. But he hears a noise in the forest, and like an idiot, he looks, and he gets jump-scared by... It looks like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things? A face-hugger from Aliens? It's it's like if you put those two things together. It's got the same flower mouth, but it's not a like a humanoid body. It's, a, it's like a worm body. Yeah. And uh, that is the end of our cold open. This show is rated TVMA. The show is rated <laughs> TVMA and is classified as a teen dramedy on Wikipedia. Actually, no, I think just straight up teen drama. A, a dramedy? There, there, there's hardly any dramedy. I mean, there's one real fun bit, but we'll get to that later. Okay, so the next day we get... Another establishing shot of Althea before transferring to the stone circle where Rosalind, now played by a new actress due to scheduling conflicts, 
is overseeing a magic fight between Bloom and an air fairy boy who shall not be named, with a bunch of other students around and Beatrix taking notes. Rosalind establishes her teaching philosophy right away. While Dowling teaches students to control emotion, Rosalind believes they are a tool. In combat, hmm. instinct is the more valuable tool than control, and that's when one finds true power. The air fairy keeps hitting Bloom with zaps of electricity before she can even begin to conjure some fire, and eventually her anger flares up and causes her hands to combust into flame. Instead of pushing through the anger to seize the advantage, Bloom turns back and rejoins the other Winks who have been watching from the sidelines. Side note, that's a really cute um, jacket. Maybe not the best for fighting. Uh, the costumes have definitely been kicked up a notch this season. They all look way better than they did last year, except for Stella, who spends this entire episode dressed like a, um, uh, how do I, how do I delicately put teen. this? Yeah, she's dressed like a depressed teen. She's in, like, an entirely pink sweatsuit with, like, a white lacy collar peeking out from under the sweater. Like, she's some sort of Victorian ghost. And in-universe, off-brand Crocs. She is wearing Adidas rubber flip-flops. She's wearing Croc-offs. <laughs> so, in... The headmistress's office, Rosalind, has a one-on-one -on -one with Bloom, and we learn that over the past month, Rosalind has been evaluating the students of Althea, and Bloom wound up in the middle of the pack. Bloom tries to be modest, but Rosalind calls her out that she was able to transform not even a year ago, probably just a few months at this point, and she was also driven enough to turn the entire school upside down looking for answers about herself. Uh, Bloom makes a comment that she did it better when Hal Dowling was headmistress. And Rosalind actually does say that she's she has to commend Bloom for still being loyal to Dowling. But she feels that it's misplaced since uh, Dowling, quote unquote, ran away after Rosalind was reinstated. I wonder how far she can run on that broken neck. <laughs> Uh, and the Salarian army has actually been searching for her, but they are calling off the search due to lack of leads and overexpending of resources. Uh, Rosalind also laments that the students of Althea are underprepared for the threats facing them because the burned ones are not the worst things in the other world. And she wants them to be prepared to stand up against these greater threats. Bloom also tries to bring up Professor Silva, but he is still going to be put on trial for the attempted murder of Skye's father. So Rosalind tells Bloom that she should embrace the new regime. Lovely <coughs> use of that word and perfectly encapsulates Rosalind's worldview. Also, I'm just imagining the, um, the be prepared sequence from Lion King. Pretty much. Secret, Except instead of a hyenas, it's just Beatrix. Maybe. I never thought air fairies essential. They're dull and unspeakably plain. Uh, okay. Just wanted to see if I had anything to say there. No, that scene really gripped me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so after leaving Rosalind's office, Bloom walks the halls with Aisha and expresses her concerns that Ray... Rosalind. Rosalind. I almost said Raisha. Raisha. Rosalind's liable to get someone killed. 
After leaving Rosalind's office, Bloom walks the halls with Aisha and expresses her concerns that Rosalind is liable to get someone killed and her push to get the results she craves, under the logic that if she's being hurt with the amount of raw power, it'll hurt the other students more. Aisha rationalizes that Rosalind simply does not care. And Bloom suggests that all of the wings take a road trip to visit nearby towns to see if anyone's seen Dowling turn to camera. Aisha, ever the voice of reason, asks Bloom what makes her think they can find Dowling if an entire army can't. But classically stubborn Bloom proposes the counterpoint that they might not know where to look or Dowling could be in hiding. Bloom feels that the changes Rosalind's brought are only temporary and that they'll be able to get things back. Aisha is clearly ready to stop talking about this and seizes her chance when she sees Skye watching them. She jokes that Bloom has a follower and Bloom goes off to do a light makeout. Also, I, I did have a bullet point here because this is Skye's first scene in this season that I didn't know if they'd done his hair the same way as they did. It looked darker, but it's just the lighting in this scene. It's the same blonde as it used to be. It just looks kind of brownish in the orange light in this room. Also, Bloom does the whole thing of don't look now, but you have someone watching you immediately turning to look. Yeah. So in another part of the courtyard, Tara rifles through her backpack for something, (laughs) which she apparently left in the greenhouse. Stella starts to talk, but when she notices another pair of students approaching while she's dressed as the uh, depressed Victorian school child, she goes invisible. (laughs) Through conversation, we learn that Stella is technically not supposed to use invisibility anymore. But without oversight, who would care? The girls move to cut through the East Wing on the way to class, but there is a pair of guards posted, which is one of Rosalind's new updates. Sam shows up and makes a joke about them all living in a quasi-police state, but Tara tells him not to joke, because just a few weeks ago, two students were expelled and haven't been seen since, and she references the fact that Ivy and Devin have gone missing. Uh... And there's also a little thing here where we learn that Tara is still a giant wet blanket who has implemented a no boyfriends rule in the suite. (laughs) And Stella thinks it's a good idea because she's still really hurt about breaking up with Skye, even though she's the one who initiated the breakup because she was able to acknowledge that their relationship was incredibly toxic. But then again, I suppose emotions don't have to make sense. And also, where would the drama be? That too. Uh, But side note. Tara is just a giant fuddy-duddy. I feel like part of it might be that she doesn't want to see her brother getting boinked. I mean, that is entirely valid. But instead of implementing a blanket no boyfriends rule, she could just say, please do not bring my brother back to the room and screw him. As your friend, your as a request from your friend Tara to you, Musa. <laughs> from your old friend Tara. I don't know. I think Tara might have some things she's working through. Yeah. Uh, no screwing on school grounds. Penalty, death. Make, keep room for the great dragon. So, uh, we cut to a van down by the river. By Isha, who's doing some light stretches by the river when she notices something in the water. It turns out to be... <gasps> a handsome boy! A handsome boy! <laughs> Old man McGregor... Oh, wait. 
So Aisha is seemingly a bit miffed that someone found her private spot down by the river. The handsome boy introduces himself as Gray, which is hilariously uh, marked as misspelled in your notes because you use the English version and not the American version. Yeah, and the, the name is usually spelled like the British version, so. And it's also canonically spelled with the E because the show takes place in Ireland. Subtitles do spell his name with an E. Anyway. And Aisha seems to be absolutely not distracted by Grey dressed in only some tight swim trunks. And instead asks if they can work out a schedule using the swimming spot. As Grey leaves, Aisha rolls her eyes and gets back to her stretching. This man is so well built that it's kind of ridiculous. I don't really go here. He's very attractive. Um, also, I was like, he looks Asian, is he? And yes, he, uh, he's half Irish, half Chinese. Uh, he's, he's biracial. We stand a biracial king. Yes. Uh, transition to the specialist training yard, where we immediately establish that Andreas is a huge prick. Cool. He sets up, uh, he sets up a spar to first blood between Sky and Dane. And when Sky seems hesitant about the whole, you know, drawing blood thing... Andreas mocks him and asks if he should send Sky to home economics if he's worried about staining his new outfit. I hope this man dies this season. Something's not right here. Um, real quick. Andreas calls out first blood, and then Dane immediately comes back with, we're not gonna hurt each other. Did you- did you not read the script, bud? Yeah, first blood literally means until somebody bleeds. You got him in the appendix. <laughs> he does not have an appendix anymore. Uh, Riven and Sky. Oh, I'm sorry. Dane and Sky sword fight as Andreas asks Riven's opinion on the matchup. Riven does a quick analysis that it's Sky's fight to lose, but Dane has things to prove, and both are under a large amount of pressure. Uh, however, Sky will inevitably try to make Dane feel like he's winning before going in for the final blow, but. He won't draw blood, and Dane does not have that kind of restraint. Uh, Dane gets Sky roughly in the appendix. Sky is then escorted to the greenhouse for treatment because it looks like the greenhouse is the infirmary. I mean, healing herbs. I'm sorry, healing herbs. Anyway, as Riven and Dane get Sky settled with Tara, Dane asks if Riven is down to hang with Beatrix later. Riven agrees, and Dane leaves. Not before. Ugh. I hate Dane. Well, he used to be a sweet kid, and then Riven buzz with his head, and now he's like this. I hate Riven. Riven's a smarmy asshole, and I love him for it, and I hate him for it. I do not like Dane. I give Dane a lot of leeway. Good for you. Tara moves to prepare some sort of medication, and she asks Riven what's going on between the three of them. Because presumably she's never heard of a thruple. Riven starts to tease her, but Tara, in her own way, tells him to screw off and hands the medication to Skye. Skye lets her know that the more she reacts, the more enjoyment Riven gets. But before they can continue their conversation, Skye gets a message from Bloom that the suite is empty. So in the wink suite, Bloom and Sky do a makeout. They're about to do a sex, presumably, but the mood gets ruined when Bloom sees the huge bandage wrapped around Sky's midsection. <laughs> you know, giant gaping wounds really are a mood killer, aren't they? 
he's also very visibly in a large amount of pain as he's moving. Again, because it is an open wound, and even with a bandage on it, that doesn't change the fact that it's still, like, pretty deep. And open. Not even stitches, just open. And after the mood gets kind of killed by Sky being in pain, Bloom asks him if he's heard any updates on Silva, since his trial is supposed... Like, there's supposed to be news about the trial soon. Uh, conveniently, feeling the pull of plot significance, Beatrix knocks on the door and tells them that there's news about Silva's trial. Uh, he is being... <laughs> he was found guilty and is being banished to Polaris, which is the other world's version of Siberia via royal decree from Queen Luna. Bloom asks if there's anything they can do to overturn a royal decree, and Tara, like, pretty sincerely suggests a letter-writing campaign because they've worked in the past, but then remembers that that tends to take time. I love her. Uh, Bloom, uh, very gently, says that she was considering direct action instead. Everyone is kind of hesitant to go after the Salarian Guard. Because, you know, that's an organized army, and they are just five teenage girls, even if they do have magic powers. Even then, only four of the five of them have powers that are directly offensive. Tara does eventually get swayed because she realizes that if they let Silva get banished, it's just a really slippery slope until anyone could be, including her dad. Also, I didn't note, uh, has Professor Harvey actually shown up at this point in the show? Because I did want to note something. It's... It's very, he's very close. At one point, I believe even in this scene, he is following behind Rosalind to the greenhouse. Is it a different actor? Yes, this is a different actor, actually. That's what I, like, I, I, like, I was like, maybe he's more haggard or no, it's just a different dude. Yeah, I thought he had just lost weight. Because I remember the old Professor Harvey had a rounder face. But apparently it's a different actor, and I can't actually find a reason for why Professor Harvey got recast. It's not like uh, Rosalind, where it was a scheduling conflict. Oh, uh, real quick, um, in the in the beginning when uh, Bloom and Aisha are talking about like Rosalind's like rise to power, <laughs> um, Aisha mentions that maybe her haircut made her meaner, and I'm like, it is a bad haircut. It's not the best look. Um, the role of Rosalind, previously played by Leslie Sharp, in this season is played instead by Miranda Richardson, who you may recognize because she played Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And if you don't recognize the character name, that's the annoying reporter who makes up all the trashy stories. And actually, if I remember correctly, had a very similar haircut to this one. So I think this actress just wears her hair like this. And has since, like, 2004. <laughs> Poor unfortunate hair. Anyhow, Stella uh, Stella also, like, caves, but she doesn't want to tell Aisha about it. Because Aisha will tell them no or tattle. But Bloom has actually already told Aisha about this. Because in a show of true character development, Bloom realizes... That Aisha is usually right about things. <laughs> and Aisha thinks that this is actually a good plan because she thought Rosal- letting Rosalind out was a bad idea from the start. And also figures that if she's the one who makes the plan, it should work. 
Stella takes point on espionage, going invisible and spying as Andreas coordinates the prisoner shipment details. He dismisses Sky from the assignment just to be an boss. Pat, and once he leaves, he continues going over logistics with Riven and Dane, and Beatrix, his favorite child, serving as counsel. <laughs> she makes she feels the most obvious vulnerability of the plan is that she's not going to be there, since dropping Sky makes sense, but she feels she's more useful. Apparently, Rosalind wants her to stay at the school, which Beatrix thinks is stupid. Andreas dismisses the specialists and scolds Beatrix for speaking about Rosalind that way in front of other people. Unsurprisingly, Rosalind isn't keeping up her end of the bargain to give Beatrix answers or any special training, and is instead treating her like a secretary. Andreas, I, I keep saying his name different ways. Andy the ass hat reassures her that they're just in an adjustment period, and that in time, Rosalind will reward her. Just keep following that carrot that Rosalind is dangling in front of you. She eventually gives it to you, I promise, says man who has been following carrot for the last 17 years and has not yet been given the carrot. <laughs> See, the carrot is right there. We'll get it eventually. After Andreas leaves, Beatrix sees Stella's footprints in the mud and breaks her invisibility with a little jolt of magic. Stella lies quickly and convincingly that she was only looking out for Sky and implies Beatrix. That should have been implores. Implies. It should have been implores. I think autocorrect got that. And implores Beatrix not to tell anyone. Beatrix agrees she won't, since she's not a snitch, but does tell Stella to get some therapy. Uh. Honestly, with being raised by an appearances-obsessed stage mother who's emotionally abused her for years, Stella does need therapy. Yeah. Like, point-blank period, Stella needs therapy. Also, this scene made me uncomfortable, but in, like, a great way. The one that we're about to do? No. Because that's before, oh, I really hope this doesn't get creepy, which is where um, Beatrix and Andreas were just talking really close at each other. But uh, actually, uh, thankfully, it doesn't. No, it it seems to be like a genuine father daughter relationship. There's no weird angle there. He even Good. Has a, he even has a name for her. He calls her his little storm. Ah, that's very and she cute. just wants answers. Also, little storm. Maybe you could even say stormy. I mean, she does have a bit of an icy personality. But she's got the lightning powers. Darcy. Anyway. Oh no, it's Gassy, the witch of intestinal distress. Hi <laughs> kids, I'm Gassy, the Gassy Gas Can. <laughs> we go back inside where Aisha's uh, in the courtyard set. And she overhears Musa talking to somebody who turns out to be Grey. He teases her a little bit about their encounter down at the river, asking if she's worked out that schedule yet. And she is clearly not impressed. Uh, he leaves, and we find out that Musa knows him because he's Sam's roommate. Of course he is. Musa asks how Aisha knows him, and Aisha says she doesn't. He's just some annoying guy she ran into earlier. And apparently Aisha is being soon soon because Musa picks up something a little bit more than annoyance. <laughs> I mean, he's annoying, but also really cute. Aisha's a tsundere and I love her for it. 
I know that's not a popular, like, character trait over here, but I love it. It's always nice to see somebody who's, like, a little bit prickly, but is, like, not so above it all. Which is Aisha's <laughs> character. Like, that's Aisha's character type, like, in a nutshell. She's very serious, very driven, very dependent. But she's also not above being just a teenage girl. Aisha tries changing the subject and showing off the pictures of the route that Stella sent to her. But music continues poking the bear until Aisha says that she will, in fact, drown her. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Aisha gets some of the best one-liners. I love it. Uh, lest we forget, I hate you. I hate your children. I will hate your children's children. This show is great. Back in the suite, Aisha is in full in uh, full logistics mode and breaks down the planned route. Apparently, there is a burned-out bridge that the caravan won't be expecting, which happened as a result of the uh, wild teen party from the cold open. Uh, one of the fire fairies in attendance got drunk and just torched it. Uh, and that will make the caravan divert down a side route where, where they will be able to ambush them. Bloom suggests just straight up exploding the car. But Aisha counters by pointing out that by saying she'll just flood the engine, which Bloom relents is way quieter and way smarter. (laughs) Musa will serve as lookout to let them know if anyone starts getting suspicious, while Stella will go invisible, grab the keys and break Silva out. And then like Tara has a a nice moment where all five of them are finally working together on the same goal on the same page from the start and she says something very nice which is i want us all to remember no matter how hard things get out there in here things are good i love her brendan i I know so much tara is so great and I'm just excited for you to see the rest of the season because Tara's character flaws get to pop out in a big way, but they all make sense. Uh, real quick, she does... Okay, I it's been a while since I've seen season one. It's been about a year since I've seen season one. She calls it the Winx Suite. Was that brought up at all? Yes, it's been... It's been here since episode one. Any... I forget why. It's just the name of the room. Like, it's just called the Wink Suite. (laughs) That's cute. Uh, And in the novelization, Tara muses if they should start calling themselves the Winks Club. I need to read this. Um, Season two does not currently have an official novelization. Um, It just came out. The official novelization for season one came out at around the same time. Uh, But also, also, Netflix is a lot more trigger-happy with spoilers. Cut to Rosalind, who's striding through the school in very blue lighting. Apparently this is the day-for-night blue gel. Day-for-night hardly looks good, but whatever. She passes the guard set up at the East Wing and enters a laboratory she set up. There's an ominous clattering, and she goes to check on it. Jump cut to Beatrice... Beatrice... Jump cut to Beatrix briefing Rosalind about the general state of affairs at the school. Ivy and Devin are missing. 
and the rumors surrounding them are intensifying, especially given the missing twins, which were actually in a newspaper earlier. They are the also the they are the students that Rosalind expelled shortly after taking power that Tara mentioned as well. Right, right, right. Beatrix asks if there's anything she needs to be worried about, but Rosalind assures her that if there is, she will be informed with the other students. Beatrix protests that she could be more useful with more context and starts laying out things that she's noticed. Rosalind is in the East Wing every night for hours. There's a book in her office in a language Beatrix has never seen. And since she took over, students have been going missing, even if they are incompetent, and that keeping secrets from her is a waste of her talents. Instead of answering her, Rosalind tasks Beatrix with cleaning up some graffiti that's been found on the walls. Just keep following that carrot. Uh, it's almost like she will always promise you things, but never actually give you anything. Transition to Sky, who has a flashback to a confrontation with Andreas over his disappearance. Uh, Andreas gives the explanation that he was living in hiding on orders from Rosalind and that he couldn't contact anyone from his old life it was quote unquote nothing personal you say to your 17 year old biological son who thought you were dead his entire life uh, sky also attempts to give andreas a sword that silva had told sky belonged to andreas and andreas gives it a few swings comments that it's an unbalanced piece of crap that definitely isn't his and just sticks it in the ground Back in the present day, Sky seems to be developing a drinking problem. <sighs> did you just picture the same thing I did when I said those words? Because that movie has fucking poisoned me. <laughs> no, I was just thinking about how this is shot in a really artsy way. And I ruined it with the movie Airplane. Like, like it goes from the shots of Andreas, like, just talking with Sky, and then back to Sky in his room, but it's all kind of shaky and, like, weirdly focused. It's, like, half-focused. It. It's not a full Dutch angle, but the camera is slightly tilted. You're, you can kind of see up Sky's nose, but he's also not in the middle of the frame. Like, it's neat. Yeah, the, they have good directors on this show. Um, Sky's developing a drinking habit, apparently, because he is sipping whiskey while the sun is up. Uh, Bloom finds him. Hey, Sky, can I day drink with you? Yeah, Bloom finds him and comments on the day drinking. And Sky even offers her some, but she cannot because she has a big afternoon in store. She lets him know about the plan. Actually, you know, keeping the people who need to know things in the, in the know. Um... But Sky feels like the consequence for either succeeding in this mission or failing are going to cause a massive avalanche that nothing can contain. Sky clearly has a lot of complicated feelings over the events of episode six and how, like, his relationship with Silva ended on such a weird note that he's still processing. A lot of thoughts and feelings are being processed here, and I don't think anyone needs to be in a relationship right now. So. Oh, right. Uh, Bloom had a really cute outfit earlier. Uh, like I said. Like that shirt and the little crop top. Like, nice. Wait till Flora shows up. She has the cutest outfits in the show. So, this first scene 
super cute. Like, I like more. I want more of this. It's like fun girl talk while we're also about to go break someone out of jail. Like, fun. The next day, Silva gets loaded into a transport van, and Andrea slightly taunts him before ordering the convoy to start moving. The Winks load into a good old station wagon, but Stella isn't there with them. Aisha goes to text her, but gets a message from Gray, the boy from the river. Musa gave him Aisha's number. The other girls start laying into Aisha, wanting deets, while Aisha goes all soon soon and starts denying things. It was, it's, oh, it was so cute. At one point, Tara's like, Gray, the guy, Sam's roommate, the one with the abs. And Plume goes, abs? <laughs> No, the front seat would like to weigh in on this. <laughs> I love these girls. Like, it was, it's a great friendship moment. And oh my god, what happens next is really hard for me to watch. Oh yeah, not good. So, so Stella crosses the courtyard to join the other girls, but she's stopped by Rosalind, who demands to see her in her office now. So as the prisoner transport moves, Riven and Dane have a little chat about the overall situation. So Riven feels weird about it, but Dane has no doubts because Dane has been ruined. Yeah, Dane says that he only had doubts until he started hanging out with Riven and Beatrix. So unfortunately, he has self-actualized in a negative environment. He was a really sweet Uh kid who started hanging out with the wrong people and it just wrecked him. The second he unbuttoned that top button of that polo, it was over. Pretty much. He also admits at this point that he knows Riven doesn't have the same feelings for him as he does for Riven and that Riven will never get those feelings, but the arrangement they have with Beatrix is fulfilling enough for him. In Rosalind's office, she lists off every time Stella was seen using her invisibility powers around campus, while Stella continues to get texts from the other girls. Stella is very flippant about the matter, but Rosalind reveals that Luna won't be showing up to punish Stella, and instead opens a jewelry box containing a pink gem. She makes Stella turn around and take her sweater off, and the jewel grows spikes and burrows into Stella's skin in a way that is both painful and bloody, and it makes her unable to use her invisibility powers and forces her to stay on Althea grounds. Ah! Yeah, this was awful. Ow! Just mild body horror. And she screams, and Beatrix hears it, and, like, reacts in, like, an oh god, like concerned way yeah so but we can assume that beatrix didn't tell so someone else saw that um it's it's been implied that she has not been nearly as careful as she thought she was and if rosalind's been posting guards all over campus well oh just that's that's not a fleshy part of the body that's like right on the damn shoulder blade Which is probably extra painful, yeah. And something tells me that the pain is part of the point. Because Luna is a f***ing psychopath. As is Rosalind. Well, Rosalind is a sociopath. Slightly different. They cancel each other out and make one horrible person. I mean, yeah. 
The other Winks realize they need to move or the plan will never work, even though it all hinged on Stella. Tara rapid-fires off some ideas, which I think, again, is really frickin' cute, but Musa tells her to breathe. Bloom goes to scout and ensure there are no other ways across the river, and Aisha starts freaking out about how her original plan was perfect and now everything will go to pieces. So Musa gently touches her arm and reassures her, which seems to work perfectly. After Aisha goes to consult the maps, Tara asks what just happened. Musa explains she's gotten better at absorbing people's emotions, so she took the edge off of Aisha's anxiety. If she tells Aisha she did it, though, apparently the anxiety will come back. Tara thinks it's a bad idea, but Musa redirects her, her to focus on the plan. Musa, you need to let people feel their feelings and process them in a healthy way and not just take them away. That's not healthy for you or them. It's not. It, it's terrible for everyone's mental health, actually. Like, the only thing I can think of this being, you know, useful, like, good, was last season. Yeah, it's great for if you can, like, transfer pain, but taking away people's negative emotions so that they never feel negative emotions is actually kind of horrible and dystopian. And this will, and this, and this will kind of flutter up a little bit later in the episode. Yeah, this can't possibly backfire. That can't be foreshadowing for anything that happens in later episodes. Nope! So, down at the river, Bloom goes under the burned-out bridge, which is, coincidentally, the same spot where Devin was attacked in the cold open, and finds (laughs) some blood on the stones and some leaves near the bridge. Watch out, Bloom, there's gonna be a gnome. (laughs) she collects one of the leaves and takes it back to the others asking if anything in the other world has purple blood because the blood has like weird purple streaks in it and while it like Tara doesn't like nothing comes to mind but Tara promises her that purple blood is not the weirdest thing that could exist in the other world (laughs) She, uh, she takes the leaf to analyze later And the girls move out to execute the new plan, which in a very cool way happens as Aisha describes it. It's super cool. Look, it's so cool. And Tara actually gets to do something. So, just like in the original plan, Aisha floods one of the car's engines. When the guard gets out to try and fix it and is distracted, Tara uses some vines to snatch the keys. And uh, Musa is able to tell Tara when to, like, not move the vines so that the guard doesn't notice them. Uh, Silva gets relocated from the secure van that they were traveling in into the back of, like, a pickup jeep. Because it's the only other vehicle (laughs) they have on hand. And because Tara's vines have a limited range to them, Aisha uses a water bubble to float the keys over to Silva and drop them in his lap. And then, because he's going to need a distraction to get the cuffs off, Bloom and Aisha pull a wombo combo, where Aisha Aisha pulls some of the gas out of the tank of the car that was stopped and abandoned, and Bloom explodes that gas. She got her boom! So, obviously, Andreas stops the car and takes Dane and Riven to investigate the explosion. Unfortunately, Silva doesn't time it quite right. He does get out, but when he 
like they're not out of earshot. So when he jumps out onto the gravel, they hear him and they give chase. Uh, Andreas uses a bow with homing arrows to shoot Silva in the back to slow him down. But Silva manages to keep running and he jumps off of a nearby cliff into the river. And so Andreas, Dane, and Riven like watch the surface of the water because he can't stay down there forever. But while uh, Silva is struggling for breath, a bubble full of air comes down and he can breathe because Aisha is taking care of him. Aisha's played Sonic. And uh, she can, she assures the other girls that she can keep Silva underwater as long as it'll take for uh, the specialists to leave. And they do move out to start searching lower down the river. Good job, girls. You did it. So in Althea's greenhouse, Sam gripes to Professor Harvey about having to pull random herbs on Rosalind's orders, while the infirmary is overflowing with injured students from her and Andreas's teaching methods. It's very clear that Harvey is afraid of Rosalind, and encourages Sam to buckle down. But Sam isn't having it. Rosalind comes in, and when Sam sasses her rather lightly, she counters with the not-so-subtle threat of expulsion for the graffiti covering the school walls, um, direct quote of, I haven't expelled someone in a while. I think I'm due. I see actually that she might have a point with that. That could have been him because apparently they had investigated the incident, but nobody had left their dorms at the time. But Sam can walk through walls. So yeah, remember like, his power is boring. It's not as unreasonable as it comes off at first glance, but it is still really <laughs> It's implied that Rosalind overlooks a lot of things that Tara and Sam do because they're Harvey's kids. So after Sam leaves, Rosalind tells Harvey that they need to talk about, who else? Saul Silva. I would like to talk about Madeline Ashton. You haven't seen that movie. So so back in the... (laughs) I forget that I still need to show you that movie. It's Halloween. We can watch it. Back in the woods. Silva reprimands the girls for being so reckless while Tara tends to his arrow wounds. Aisha asks if he was even around last year when Bloom let loose the evil headmistress. Uh, Bloom does look guilty of that mention, but asks Silva what they should do now. He directs them to a nearby town called Blackbridge where his friend Sebastian, who was probably going to die at some point this season, owns a store that imports goods from the first world. I love this store. I love this man. Yeah, it's so it's called First World Imports. And you wonder, oh, what would people in the magic dimension want from like our world? It's all (laughs) old tech. We got CRTs. I spotted an Apple Newton box and some older Apple like desktop. It's a cute store. Like, he basically runs a vintage video game and tech store, and there's, like, kitschy stuff all over, too. There are several boxed laser boys, which are probably just Tetris machines. So anyway, uh, we're in the back of Sebastian's shop, where we meet the man, the myth, the legend himself, a charming Irishman who gives Silva an electric razor from the 90s to take care of his prison beard. Yeah, Sebastian says, like... Sebastian's like, yeah, it has all of its blades, so just let me know how many bandages you need. 
uh, Bloom on the phone with Skye fills him in on the situation, but Skye is refusing to talk to Silva after what happened at the end of last season. Skye moves out to the motor pool and asks Riven how the transport went, acting like he doesn't know. And Riven tells them that at least they haven't found a body, so the worst likely hasn't happened. On the other side of the yard, Dane is talking a big game to some other specialists about how pathetic Silva looked, all like beat up and jumping into the river. And Skye uh, walks over and asks uh, why he's having a giggle uh, and asks if he thinks it's funny that a man got shot in the back. Uh, Dane's like, we're just talking, uh, mate. And I assume there's an M8 there because Dane is acting very laddish at this point. It's like he's taken up all of Riven's worst qualities with none of the smarmy charm to back them up. And Sky responds by punching him across the face. Yes. And he he hits Dane pretty good. Like he keeps swinging until Riven physically pulls him off. And Sky tells Dane to come find him when he's ready for another conversation. He storms off, and Andreas looks fairly impressed that Sky about, like, he looks impressed at how Sky works when he's not holding himself back. Much like Bloom, when Sky is not holding back, he's, he's like, a force to be reckoned with. He got Angie. Yeah, because that's his dad. Like, he doesn't want to talk to Silva, but Silva's still his dad. It's it's like Dane has completely forgot. Well, I mean, I know they were kind of like brainwashed at the begin at the end of the last episode. It feels like Dane has completely forgotten all that Silva did. That's right. Rosalind did lightly brainwash them, didn't she? Or she did something to them. There were definitely purple glows around their eyes. After the phone call with Sky, Bloom updates Silva and asks if he overheard anything about Dowling while he was in the capital. Now, here's a weird thing. The subtitles consistently spell capital with an O, like the Capitol building of the United States. But all context tells us they are referring to the capital city of the kingdom of Solaria. And I don't know why the subtitles the, didn't pick up on that. Uh, The capital courthouse? I guess. I don't know. But it'll let me just say this. When all references in this season to the capital of Solaria are spelled with an O and not an A. And I don't know if that's a British English thing, but it's very distracting. It was capitalized, wasn't it? Yes, it was capitalized and spelled with an O. Capitol. That's weird. Like, context tells us that's not what is being spoken about, subtitler. I mean, it's better than the Drag Race subtitles, but that's damning with faint praise. We're in Solaria City, Solaria. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Silva responds that he actually hasn't heard anything, but Sebastian is very good at finding things. Sebastian says he's like a terrier, only cooler, then pauses and asks what cool dogs are. He's a giant nerd. <laughs> I love him. He's a turbo dork. This is my character. It was made for me. So, Bloom... Because she found that awkward and not charming because she's 17. Uh, Bloom asks Silva if she's just supposed to go back to school and act like everything is normal. And he actually gives her very good advice that, no, 
she shouldn't act like everything is normal. Because the minute she starts doing that, Rosalind will be able to wear her down, and she will forget what normal ever was. Also, Rosalind has apparently been granted access to the Salarian Royal Archives, which are full of, like, ancient magic books and some powerful relics. So she is clearly planning something big. Uh, Bloom, like, Abigail Cowan, does some more good acting and convincingly sells the fact that Bloom is about to have a breakdown and is fighting her damnedest not to. Because Bloom recognizes that she's not wrong when she says everything that's currently happening at Althea is basically her fault. Because she let Rosalind go. Because she was too busy focusing on herself and on what she wanted. Silva, though, is a good parent figure. And he tells her that, like, you know, if she wasn't the one who let out Rosalind, somebody would have eventually because she couldn't have stayed in stasis under the school forever. Probably would have been Beatrix. But he does agree that whatever Rosalind is up to... It started 17 years ago when she found Bloom. So back in the Winx suite, Tara starts laying into Stella about her dipping out on them, but Musa does a quick ping and tells Tara to cool off until they have the whole story. So Stella explains that Rosalind called her into her office, but does not mention the limiter jewel that Rosalind attached to her. So Musa steps into her room and finds Sam sitting on her bed. He is very angry about everything going on with Rosalind and his dad. And he says that you're the only one who can make me feel better right now. And she hugs him while using some of her powers to take the edge off his anger. Again, this cannot go badly at all, especially once he finds out that you've been messing with his head without his permission. That's, that's like a, a you don't mess with people's heads without their permission. Yeah, that's like a really bad idea, Musa. Oh no, you're emotionally gaslighting him. She kind of is. She's literally not allowing him to feel his emotions. And it's all coming from the best like the best of intentions. But I'm just going to be upfront with you. I have watched the whole season and it does backfire spectacularly. I fully anticipated doing that and I am excited. At the specialist training yard, Skye sets up a target and gets a text from Riven asking when he'll be back. He responds that the room is all his. In their dorm room, Riven and Dane strip down, with Riven advising that Skye will need some time to cool off. Beatrix, from the bed, fully clothed, asks if they're done yet because she'd like to forget about the day she had. Commence three-way scene, including an on-screen kiss between Riven and Dane. Yahoo! So- Finally, some guy-on-guy action. So while they do a sex, Sky trains with the sword Silva gave him while thinking about the things that Andreas and Silva told him. Again, really good, nicely done, artsy scene. He set up, like, LED lights. Also, uh, there's this really cool thing that the backing track does here, where the it's the same song that plays while Riven, Dane, and Beatrix start hooking up, but it changes to, like, this, almost like this workout mix when it transitions over to Sky training. Ah! And it ends with him throwing a pair of knives directly into the bullseye of the target. I gotta say, in the beginning, I thought he was setting up, like, a painting rig. Like, he was just gonna do some cool nighttime painting. I did, too. Stella goes to open the door to Sky in Riven's room to presumably talk to Sky. Uh, but the door opens from the other side and she gets spooked like a rabbit and tries to run. 
Beatrix steps out and tells Stella that Sky is not there at the moment. And then something unexpected happens because Beatrix appears to take stock of how upset Stella is and then just very casually says that she needs something to drink with the clear, like, implication that you are coming to drink with me. (laughs) Uh, Down in the courtyard, Bloom is uh, meeting with Rosalind and admits that she's been holding back because she's afraid. The last time that she put her magic and everything and herself over everything and everyone else, it didn't work out too great. Rosalind, of course, has a different opinion since Bloom is the only reason that they're able to have this conversation. And Bloom pretty bluntly says that that's the point. Everyone at the school hates Rosalind and the changes she's made to things. Rosalind claims to not care about the opinion of the masses. She feels like when you listen to the group opinion, nothing ever gets done. The world grinds to a halt and people end up dead from being too fat and happy when bad things happen. She doesn't care that people hate her and that's how she gets things done. Which Bloom feels is an incredibly bleak worldview. And Rosalind insists it's not bleak, it's life. Which, God, I want to know what happened in Rosalind's backstory that made her like this. Ma'am, who hurt you? Or alternatively, nobody hurt her and she's always been like this because I I have suspicions that the word gets thrown around a lot, but Rosalind's behavior does point to sociopathy. Like somebody who like does not have human empathy for the people around them and just manipulates people by telling them what they want to hear instead of giving them like any real information or anything like that. Brendan. Huh? You want to know something that happens if you don't listen to group opinion? Hmm. La guillotine. Yeah. Q Shiran J. Zhao dressed as Robespierre. Also, Bloom counters that Rosalind has to care about at least one thing because Rosalind clearly cares about Bloom. No, Bloom, she doesn't. She's a sociopath. She's just making you feel like she cares so you'll do what she wants you to do. People with sociopathic tendencies are incredibly good at analyzing other people and understanding them. But because they still can't fundamentally relate to those people because it is a mental health condition that you can seek assistance for if you have sociopathic tendencies and you genuinely don't want to be that way. But you have to ask for it first. Remember that mental health is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Also, Rosalind is just a fascist, so fuck her. Uh, I feel like those can kind of go hand in hand. Anyway. Pretty much. Anyway. Bloom says that she does not want to hold back anymore and requests one-on-one lessons with Rosalind every day. Back in the suite, Bloom explains this to Aisha and her motive behind it. She wants to get to know Rosalind so that they can destroy Rosalind. She then asks Aisha if she's taking things too far and possibly as a you know, a response to fan criticism of season one. Aisha very gently says that, you know, she loves Bloom, but 
she cannot be her moral compass. That is way too much pressure to put on Aisha to be Bloom's entire conscience. But don't worry, because Bloom is still going to know what Aisha thinks about anything anyway. No, I'll tell you what I think. Just don't rely on me. Yeah, she even says, like, it can't be Aisha is always right and Aisha knows everything. That's not fair to me, it's not fair to you, and it's not fair to the lovely audience. So we're jumping to Beatrix and Stella, who are drinking together, which is honestly a little cute, like Stella's just lying on a table. I am going to be fully transparent with you, hashtag Stellatrix exploded. <laughs> like, Stella and Beatrix were became a huge ship as a result of season two. I, I don't mind it, honestly. So Beatrix takes, takes, oh, good, this is gonna be a hard one to say. Beatrix takes Stella's crock-offs for a spin and comments that while they're hideous, they are quite comfortable. But now that Stella can't disappear, she'll have to start caring about how she looks again. So she does Stella a favor and uh, completely eviscerates the shoes. She disintegrates them at a molecular level. They just stop existing. I'd like to think that they've actually just been transported into someone's house in First World. (laughs) Like, in the back of a closet, like, oh, I forgot I bought these. You never bought them, Gwendolyn. (laughs) They just showed up. So, does that mean that whenever a sock vanishes from the dryer, a fairy in the other world has cast a locate sock spell? (laughs) Yes. So, Beatrix sits down and asks if the other Winks know about Stella's new accessory, but Stella hasn't told them because she doesn't want any sympathy or pity. Stella. I mean... You have friends. It's, it's, it's incredibly realistic, if not very sad, that Stella still does not feel like she can talk to the other girls genuinely about her problems and about her situation because she doesn't understand that other people are capable of genuinely caring about her because she doesn't know what to do when other people care about her. She needs a hug. And several, several therapy sessions on the Queen's Dime. Beatrix has no sympathy, though, as her own situation is, by her own admission, equally, if not more screwed up than Stella's own. Stella jokingly asks if they're about to start a trauma battle, because Beatrix doesn't even know the half of what she's been through, but they're interrupted by someone yelling for help. And this is when I almost jumped out of my seat. (laughs) Because Devin, you know, the kid from earlier who got attacked by a gnome? Who got at by the Demogorgon? Shows up in the library, bloodied and bruised. The camera cuts to Rosalind as she walks into the East Wing, into her secret lab, past a creature in a tank that looks identical to the one that attacked Devin at the start of the episode. She passes a pair of students who are strapped down and seizing, and finds the final bed, which once held Devin, empty. And the episode ends on her, stunned, realizing what's happened. She just says, oh, and the episode ends. This was such a good episode ending. Dude, season two does not pull any punches. Like It's so good! I had, to, <laughs> I had to stop taking notes halfway through this episode and finish the season. So that I could then come back to it and take better notes. You know how I watch shows, right? Yeah, you want to... I have to stop them. I, I sat down and watched the last 15 minutes of this episode uninterrupted. 
that's an accomplishment for me. It is. And that's a good sign that this show is able to of keep, it's able to keep your attention so well. Also, I like Devin's hair. I, I watched the show and I was sitting there and I went, it is so nice to feel this sense of anxiety and dread about a TV show and not because my brain is telling me terrible things. <laughs> right? Like, I'm not having anxiety because I just started thinking too hard about things that have not happened and will not happen. No, this is just a TV show that knows how to do suspense. As is tradition with Fate the Wink Saga, because this is a longer episode, this was almost an hour of television, uh, we abandon the best worst MVP, keep that for the regular season, and these we talk about highlights. Yeah. What stuck out to us the most? Yeah, our favorite moments of the episode. Tess, uh, I started the episode, so you go ahead and start off uh, Start off with your favorite moments of the episode. Uh, some of my favorite moments. Uh, one of them is definitely the little moments of levity between the girls. Where, like, they're just chatting about, like, you know, Aisha's... A boy that she's talking to. That's fun. Um, the little bit in the room when they were all planning out their attack. Oh my gosh. Just seeing teens. Well, not teens. Seeing characters being teenagers. Right. I was a very big fan of. Honestly, I'm going to say something controversial. Oh dear. I like Rosalind as a villain. Oh no, she's great. She's a horrible person, but she's great. That's the thing. I don't like Andreas because he's a man, frankly. He's just like a toxic chauvinist. Rosalind, I want to understand her better, which I feel is kind of the emotion that a villain should make you feel. Uh, Like a well-written villain should make you want to be like, what's going on behind those eyes? Literally... Like, I want to know your motivations. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know how you became the way you are now. New Rosalind has a very different energy from old Rosalind. Old Rosalind was more bitter. New Rosalind is a lot more, how do I say? Calculating? Yes. she. It It looks like Rosalind does not make one move without contemplating every possible scenario first she's and her delivery and her tone are a lot more you i do what i want (laughs) it's almost in a she was bitter until she killed dowling and then yeah this one old rosalind seemed a lot more sadistic this one does not but she has the potential to be and i like that right um, so my my highlight is actually going to be all of the Rosalind content. I love oh yeah, I love a complicated female villain. Um, I also do want to agree that it's nice to see the girls have genuine friendship moments, especially because one of our big complaints about last season is that the friendship moments felt like they came out of nowhere. Yeah, it felt like they didn't actually. Quick, we need to finish the show. Yeah, it felt like they didn't earn the relationship with each other. And I actually do appreciate that while Stella is their friend in the sense that she is not openly hostile to them, she is also still realistically very cagey as a victim of emotional abuse. Who 
doesn't want to open herself up to other people and get hurt. I feel like the effects got a little better. They did. The budget seems to have gone up. Like, um, in the beginning when Devin was doing that mind, like, the, the emotion reading thing, his eyes glue. Glue. <laughs> his, his eyes went purple a bit more naturally, it may feel. Yes, the eye effects are not nearly as obtrusive. They're a lot more subtle. It was nice to see Dane get punched out. <laughs> Bust you. Also, uh, rest in peace, Ivy. You were a badass with a shaved head and two knives. You died doing what you loved. Knives. Also, the the sight of Blood Witch powers was really neat. Oh, something I want to see from this season. How I watch shows. I watched this episode the day that we were recording this. Brendan has shotgunned the all the show last week. I want to see more mythical creatures. I would like that as well. They've been talked about. I would like to see a gnome. So far we've seen corpse guys and a weird bug. So, with that said, I believe this is a great place to end our episode. Uh, Join us next whenever, next time that I don't have overtime and Tess doesn't have to do a shift at Old Navy, uh, where we can record for Season 2, Episode 2, Taken by the Wind. Until next time. Meeting adjourned. Open your eyes, open your mind. We are the Wings. Wings, if your hand is holding mine, we can fly through space and time. And together we'll be surfing winners. Wings, with a smile you can enchant. You light up our world. We'll fly the moonlit sky together. Also, there is an official prequel novel. And the official prequel novel mentions an element that hasn't been mentioned in the show yet. And would you like to know what that element is? Is it darkness? It's technology. (laughs) I'm laughing at my own reaction to that, which is apparently Howler Monkey. Excited gibbon hooting at the thought of live action techna. (laughs)